I'm gonna do something really weird right now, so forgive me. I don't always do this, um, but being a therapist, I've learned some things um, in life and with clients. And I want us to take a second, because I think so often we like go, 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 and we do what we're supposed to do at church, and we do what we're supposed to do every day. And I just want to take a second, because I think our body and our emotions tell us a lot of things, but a lot of times we don't pay attention to them. We fill them with a lot of other stuff. I'm guilty as charged, right? My phone is my, probably my biggest addiction. But it often helps me avoid what's really going on with me. So I want you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to take a really deep breath in and a really slow, deep breath out. And today we're talking about something that actually I've been struggling with the whole time in preparing. And I want to kind of challenge you now as you take another deep breath in and deep breath out. I want you to really pay attention to what your body's telling you when I say these words. I love my city. I want you to notice, do you feel any tension? Did you feel peace? Did you feel anxiety? Let me say it again. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. I love my city. I just want you to think about, notice what's happening in your body and the emotions that you're feeling. I want, you can open your eyes now. But oftentimes we're like, oh, I love my city. And I, I want everybody to be honest for a second because I will tell you this, preparing this last week, I've been struggling. And I don't usually feel like I struggle getting messages together. And I really had to think about this last night and this morning. And I thought, you know, my struggle is that I don't always feel like I love my city. I don't feel like that's a genuine statement for me. And so I want to I wanna know, how many of you guys felt any negative thought, experience, emotion that came up when I said those words? Anybody? Okay, that's good. Anybody just had pure positive emotions come up for you? Good. And then what about nothing? Like I felt nothing when you said those words as well. Nothing came up for me. That's okay too. It's the, the whole point that I'm trying to show you today is, yeah, we're going to talk about loving my city and we're going to talk about that, what that means and different things like that. But oftentimes loving anything comes from what's going on in here. And oftentimes we don't really pay attention to what's going on in here. Okay, why did I feel negative about that? Why did I feel positive about that? Sometimes I still want to evaluate, like, why do I have positive feelings towards this? Why do I have no feelings towards this? What's going on? And it's not to be, like, this major big thing. It's just I really believe a lot of, you know, I feel, like, frustrated sometimes because I feel like the world has taken things that God designed and made it their own secular New Agey stuff. But the reality is God gave you emotions and experiences for a reason. He wants you to be, the word, mindful. He wants you to know what's going on with you because what's going on with you informs why you behave a certain way. It informs why you treat people a certain way. It informs the decisions you make. And so it's really important for us to sometimes take those moments and take a deep breath in and deep breath out and say, how is this impacting me? I often use, and my kids use this word back at me now, at least my older ones, I often use the word triggered. I'm just triggered. Well, sometimes I won't even know why I'm triggered or that I am triggered if I'm not paying attention to what's going on in me. 
right? So it's starting to identify what is going on in me. And I didn't mean to make you guys all feel weird and uncomfortable, but 10 years ago, if someone had told me to sit there and close my eyes and take deep breath, I'd be like, oh my gosh, right? And I'd be really uncomfortable. That tells you something about what's going on with you, right? That informs why am I not okay paying attention to what's going inside? Because I got to consume. I got to feel better. I got to, I got to, I got to. And one of the things I've been telling someone recently, I, I went up to visit my family in Canada, which is a lot of fun. I love my family in Canada. It informs a lot about me when I go visit my family in Canada. I'm like, oh, you make sense to me. I understand me now. Um, but one of the things I was telling them, oh, a, a Christian family member of mine, she was talking about how sometimes a Christian walk isn't easy. And I said, you know what? God never promised us easy. God never even promised us this amazing life that we would get everything we want and have tons of riches and this and that. But what I feel like he always promised us is that he'd be alongside of us. It's called the prosperity gospel. A lot of people want to say, hey, if you follow Jesus, everything will be perfect. But the problem is the minute you crack open the Bible, I don't see that a lot. I see talking about going alongside him in suffering. I see Paul being persecuted. I see Christians being persecuted, slain. Over history, it's the same thing. So be, begrudgingly, I, I'm not going to sit up in here and always give you like the, the, the <laughs> make you feel good. You know, Jesus is going to fix everything for you because that, sometimes the answers to prayer is no. And sometimes it is uncomfortable. And sometimes those are the moments in faith I struggle the most. On that topic, one of my prayers has always been, get me out of this city. You can ask my husband, my kids, everywhere I go. I'm like, can we move here? Let's look at homes here. Let's just check it out just for fun. Blah, 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 blah. Everywhere we go, right, babe? Yeah. So, <laughs> and so I, I, when Samuel told me what I was speaking on this month, what you guys were speaking on, I was like, really? <laughs> really? Come on. This is not easy for me. And so the, I really realized that last night and this morning was, and I have some stuff prepared and I realized even last night and this morning, like I may follow my notes, I may just really speak from the heart because to me this is a testimony and an experience of something that I struggle with constantly. And so I was thinking about it this morning. I said, well, why do I, and I say these words, so forgive me, but I'm being real, okay? So one thing you'll get from me is I don't like to be fake, okay? It's very important to me, like I'm gonna be real with you. But I literally would say these words, I hate Las Vegas. I will. I will constantly say, I hate Las Vegas. I want to get out of Las Vegas. Can we move? Da, da, da. So I was thinking about it this morning and last night. Why do I hate Vegas? What is it? What makes a city, right? What makes a city? People, right? What else? The weather, yes. The opportunity. Environment, culture, church. So I started going through my head, like what makes up a city? What is it that, why do I say I hate Las Vegas? And it was really interesting because I suddenly was like, sorry. I felt really convicted. Cause I was like, I don't really hate Las Vegas because I love the people. I love my church. And to me, the biggest part is the people, right? Like, if I say I hate Las Vegas, I'm saying I hate the people. 
And I don't. I've fallen in love with the people. What, I, what I've learned about myself now traveling is I've just fallen in love with people. And that in itself is a big testimony for me because I think growing up, I hated people. Like, honestly, I'm just being real. Like, I hated it because I raised in the church. Sometimes I felt like things were disingenuine. I really struggled with that. And so I didn't have patience for extreme emotions. Even me crying here, that's really hard for me because I'm like, keep it together. You can keep it together. What's wrong with you? Um, so it, I just really dawned on me that I don't really hate the city, but the things I struggle with. So I came up with a good thing to read to you because I think I've gotten in the habit of saying, I hate my city. I want to get out. And I realized, well, there's this story about Vegas that isn't very positive. So I Googled ranking, state rankings, right? And so I got Nevada's rankings, right? So I, you guys mind for a second, indulge me? But I want you to know, how, the stories we tell ourselves about places are very powerful. The story we tell ourselves about ourselves, about our relationships, about our city, it, it says something. And so this is the narrative of Nevada. We're ranked 31 over all the states. Okay, and these are the categories they break it down into. We're number 45 in education. Out of how many states, right? Right, just, I'm kidding, kind of. <sighs> but what's interesting for me is I opened up the rankings, and this has never been told to me, because 45 is really negative, right? And that is one of the reasons I'm like, I hate the education system here, it's terrible, blah, blah, blah. But what I did not know is, K, a preschool through 12th is rated 48th. But high school is actually ranked 18th. Which is actually kind of positive. I was like, oh, no one's ever said that to me, that our high school systems are decent. I just thought, overall, we stink. Right? But I was like, oh, high school, we're 18th. That's not that bad. But pre-K through 12th is not good. And so what, even as I was going through this rhetoric, because I want to read them all to you because it's kind of fun, because um, I found some good stuff too. But when you're living in a place, it's not about being in denial about the weaknesses, right? When I'm married to someone, it's not me being in denial of my weaknesses or his. It's actually learning to cover and honor those weaknesses and love despite those weaknesses, Learn how to protect myself from the weaknesses of Las Vegas. So I need to know what's going on with my city. I don't want to just go, oh, it's so bad, I can't even look. No, I need to know. I have kids. I need to protect them. I need to help educate them. I need to do what I need to do to help my child overcome these obstacles of our city. Um, so believe, guess what? I have good news. Economy, we're ranked eight. I had no idea. That's great, right? The business environment, we're ranked sixth. Employment, 24th, which isn't, we're right in the middle. And growth, number four. Right? And what I'm doing this for is, it's so easy to look at all the negatives of Las Vegas. But the, the, what the narrative we choose to cling on to is often all these negative things. Right? I can rattle off to you, I knew the ones we were worst at. I had no idea we were good on anything. I didn't, I'm being honest, right? Number four in infrastructure. For those of you who think that's not a big deal, spend two weeks in California, 
So infrastructures, the roadways, how you get around, that kind of stuff. Levi and I spent, how long did we spend last year in California? A week straight? And by the end of it, we had lot, like gotten way more gray hair and lost a bunch of it. The traffic is horrendous. Going to the grocery store, you can't even find a spot. It takes you 30 minutes to get to the grocery store. So anybody who tells me infrastructure isn't a big deal has not lived in somewhere with poor infrastructure. Um, so infrastructure, really great. We're number eight in energy. We're number one in transportation. I don't know how, because our bus system's terrible, but we're number one. <laughs> number eight in internet access. That's a big deal nowadays. Number 37th in opportunity. Uh, number 42 in affordability, which I was surprised. Um, 28 in economic opportunity. I like this one, 14% in equality. That's great, I love that, yeah? Uh, fiscal stability, we have uh, poor long-term stability, but we have great short-term stability, three, we're number three. So our crime and our natural environment aren't that great either, so we don't have to hit those, but. <laughs> More for time, more for time. But my point is, do you see the narrative that people talk about Las Vegas and our city and our state, right? It's not great. And so it's easy for us to capture onto that narrative and go, yeah, I really hate this city. When I really realized, I was truly, honestly convicted last night and this morning, it was like, it was, I so often, and I heard you did a great job this morning, wanted to go, you know, it's about loving people. I love people. And I'm like, no, but he asked me to talk about loving my city, which is, is so profound for me because I go around constantly saying, I hate my city. I want to get out of here. And when I really had to look at it, I was like, I don't hate my city. And that's a really powerful thing because we say these narratives and we've held on to these narratives that we've been given or told and we live by them. And everywhere I go, I look to move. Everywhere. <laughs> Like literally when we were in Ottawa, my cousin was trying to convince us to move to Ottawa. And I was like, hey, babe, yeah, we can do five months of s snow up to here, right? We're good. Yeah, like that's a good idea. We could leave all our friends and family and everybody we love. And all of a sudden I'm like, that's it. That's, that's my city. And so one of my points today was really learning how to stop focusing on the negatives of anything. When we're talking about learning to love, if I focus on the negative you will fail in loving that. If I focus on the negatives of Las Vegas, I will fail to love Las Vegas. I will be like Jonah, swallowed up in my whale in Las Vegas, refusing to reach out, refusing to be what I need to be in this city because I hate Las Vegas. It stops me from doing what I need to do in this city. I may physically be here, but I've been in the whale for a long time. So you may physically be here, but if you're saying I hate Las Vegas, I guarantee you you're in the well or the fish or whatever it was. Different theologians think it's different fish, so <laughs> whatever. You see what my point is though? Like you can physically be here, but my heart could be in the whale. And that's what's happened to me is my heart has been in the whale because I have chosen to look at the negatives of Las Vegas. When I struggle the most in my relationship with my spouse, it's when I choose to focus on negatives. Not on him, because he's great, but just my own lack, my own issues. Like, if I focus on the negative, if I focus on my lack of security, if, or my insecurities, if I focus on the lack of the things I am, if I, if I align myself with envy of others that have something I don't have, my marriage will fail. My love for him will fail. 
If I focus on the negative of my children, I will fail them as a parent. Because instead of pulling out that good in them, I'm, the more I focus on the negative, the bigger the negative becomes. Because oftentimes, the biggest, the biggest um, thing that perpetuates negative behavior is shame. When I focus on someone's negative constantly, what do you think that's doing for them? Creating shame. So if constantly my kids, I'm like, oh, you drive me crazy. Oh, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. That creates shame in them when I tell them that constantly. But if I see that good in them, if I pull out that good, if I pull out that good in Las Vegas and I go, instead of focusing on, I came up with a funny list the other day and, and then this morning I was like, those are goofy things I was thinking, but I was jet lagged. So, um, but I, I said, most cities are full of, or so, oh, Las Vegas is full of sin. It's full of sin. Everywhere you go is full of sin. And this is my positive reframe. We call it a reframe in therapy, right? It may not be just the total opposite. No, it's not full of sin. We, we can't say that. It's full of sin. But when I go to other cities, it is full of sin, but you know where it is? It's hidden. I literally was in Ottawa the other day and I was like, I, was, I don't know what you guys are saying, but it's probably funny. <laughs> they're therapists, so they're a little dark like me sometimes. <laughs> Um, I was in Ottawa the other day and I was like, who has drug problems in a beautiful city like this? Oh, a lot of people, <laughs> right? Like, oh, who has pornography issues? Who has prostitution issues? Oh, every city we've been to, it's just not out there. You know, honestly, I prefer to live in Las Vegas where it's out there. I prefer to know where it's at. I prefer to know like what I'm dealing with here. Yeah, I want to know. So that's my positive reframe. It's not, no, it's not full of sin. So a reframe is something where I take a negative and I put a different box around it. I put a different lens through it. More positive. It is more positive to believe, like, hey, I'd rather the sin be out there. Every city's full of sin, right? It's not, oh, no, there's no sin. That's denial. I'm not asking you guys to be in denial about your struggles. I'm not asking you to be in denial. But if I constantly focused on my negative, I'd be full of shame and I'd be paralyzed. Maybe not physically, but emotionally. And so instead, if I go, you know what? I have these issues, but I'm really good at this. Or, hey, I'm okay doing this, you know? Then I can move forward. If I constantly look at my city and say, I hate my city, I'm paralyzed to do anything. I'm overwhelmed by its magnitude of sinningness. Yes, I like to make up words. I have young children. And even when I don't, I'll do it. So I'm always like, oh, the heat in the summer is unbearable. Right, this is something I hate about Vegas. I was, I was making my hate list for you guys. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? It's, we have a swimming pool. Like, that's an opportunity to have people over. It's an opportunity for community. Um, and the winters are amazing compared to Canada. <laughs> so even though this list seems kind of silly, the bottom line is, is it's a challenge to me on how I speak about anything in my life, including my city. Because guess what? When I come in, I all of a sudden feel better coming in now going, oh my gosh, you're right, I do love Las Vegas. I gotta start reminding myself why I love Las Vegas, 
when you go to Canada, remember that one time we got stuck with gas and no gas station was open or something, remember? Because we're used to what? Gas stations being open 24 seven, right? So we're in Canada and we're making the trip from Ottawa to Montreal, which is about two hours, one hour, 45 minutes. And we're like, oh, we'll just get gas in the next city or the next town. They have all these like tiny little towns. Oh, closed, closed at nine o'clock, closed at nine o'clock, closed at nine. I was like, what? Who closes a gas station at nine o'clock at night? I love Las Vegas. <laughs> I mean, it seems silly, but again, it's the narrative I'm telling myself about my city. And that stops me from opening up and giving to the city, therefore. I could say I love the people I want, which I do genuinely love the people, but I hold back because the minute my husband says, yes, we're out of here. I'm serious. So how deep have I really allowed my roots? How much am I really allowed myself to invest? You think after 25 years, they'd be pretty deep, but I feel like they're still pretty shallow because I've said to myself for years, I'm getting out of here the minute I can. And you know what? It rubs off on my kids. Because every time we go somewhere now, Luke, can we move here? The soccer's better. Can we move here? The soccer's better. (laughs) The schools are better, mom. There's a beach, whatever, whatever they are. And then we're like, we hate the traffic. So what does it look like to love your city? I did come up with some stuff and I think think they're important things to talk about. I think number one was we do, we are called to be good citizens. And it's funny because as I've aged, I've realized, what does it mean to be a good citizen? And one of these things did come from my family in Canada. Over there, they recycle. They recycle compost. How many of you guys know what that means? Okay, let me explain it. Because the first time I went and they were recycling compost, it was kind of a new thing like 10 years ago. I thought it was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. They have this little tub that sits on their counter. And every time there's leftover food, they shovel it into the compost and they give it to the government, right? So all the leftovers, anything that has to do with food goes in this compost, and it sits on your counter all week, you guys. That is disgusting, right? But it's, when I came this time, I was like, that's really cool. Because what they do is they use it for fertilizer. And guess what? They have beautiful trees, they have beautiful vegetation, they have wonderful food. Like when you go pick their strawberries, they're so amazing and fresh and it's great. It's wonderful. And so all of a sudden I was like, that is very responsible. They recycle. I do not recycle, never have. They care about their environment. They care about littering. They care about all these things. And I thought that was really cool. And I thought that is part of loving your city. And as a teenager, I wanted to like throw out huge boxes of food out my door. Like I was like a litterer, it was terrible. And one time someone like told me that that was horrible and I never did it since. And I thank God because I'm like, that is about God made us stewards of what he's given us, right? And no one ever taught me that like being a good steward means taking care of what you have, fixing it instead of throwing it away, taking care of it, being good stewards. So, so number one was like learning to be a good citizen and I lost my note on it. So I don't know, maybe I won't say that much more about it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you have it up there. Oh, be a good, no, the next slide, the next one. Oh, I found it. Um, okay, so Romans 13, 1 through 7 discusses obeying the law and being a good citizen and stuff like that. But number 6 says, this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. 
Give to everyone what is owed to them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And what I thought was really cool about this is a lot of times we forget, I forget, we forget this about a lot of people, but we're really hard on our officials that run our cities. We're hard on our cops, we're hard on our first responders, we're hard on the polit politicians, we're hard on these people. But how many of you guys have been in, in those shoes? Right? A few of us? How hard is it? Let me tell you this, I haven't been in those shoes, but I've been in the shoes of being a pastor's kid and, and a minister for a long time now. It is not easy. It's very easy to sit back and go, oh, they did this wrong, 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 they did this wrong. It's easy to see what they did wrong. It's very easy to criticize until you're in their shoes. I did not respect my parents and what they've done in ministry until I started ministering. Because it's very easy for me to sit back and go, oh, they should have done this, they could have done this better, I could have done that better, I could have done that better, and then I tried to do it all better, and it's very hard. I'm not in denial that my parents make mistakes. I'm not in denial that Samuel makes mistakes. All I'm saying is, you guys, we're humans. Our politician, they're humans. And they deserve our honor. So I looked up the word honor, because that, that word is sometimes overused in the Christian world, right? And I wanted to like, talk to you guys about, in this scripture, it's used as a noun, not a verb, right? So I thought that was interesting. And so the meaning is, so then I looked up the, in the dictionary what honor meant, and it said, a good name or public esteem, showing of usually a merited respect. And then it even talked about a value of somebody. Somebody has value. And so I thought that was really cool. Honor doesn't mean constant obedience. Honor doesn't mean agreement. Honor does, so a lot of people say, honor me. And to them, that means listen. That means agree, don't disagree with me. But that's not what this is saying. Honor has to do with how I speak of somebody publicly. So if I came up here and I was like, let me tell you about my family. Let me tell you about Samuel. I got all the dirt. I've known this kid since he came out of the womb. That's not honoring, right? <laughs> That's not honoring, right? But in private, if I have an issue with Samuel, it's not dishonoring. To me, it's actually dishonoring not to be honest. Honor doesn't mean that I agree with everything you say. Honor isn't, doesn't even mean I'm going to say to you, oh, um, somebody's so great at this and they're not. So honor's not lying, it's just, my grandpa said a great saying one time. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Sometimes that's what honor looks like. In public, if I don't have anything nice to say about the officials and the people over me, I'm not going to say anything at all. Or I could choose to find the good in them. Right? Because they're humans too. We forget that. So anyway, that's my soapbox about being a good citizen. And then Titus 3 was really powerful. I just need to see how much. Oh, it's really fast. Okay. Sorry, guys. I told you I wasn't going to get through my notes. Okay. Titus 3 I thought was really, really good too um, on being a good citizen. But you might have to read it another time. But one of the things being a good citizen doesn't always mean we have to affect the change we think. And Titus, I mean, I'm going to read part of Titus 3. It right here says, At one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasures. We lived in malice, or we live in malice, and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of God and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Was that the judgment? Was that the criticism? Was that the shaming of God? He saved us not because of our righteous things we've done. We're not saved, you guys, because we, we became good. We're not saved because I do everything right, because I don't. But because of his mercy, he saved us. And through the washing and rebirth and renewing of the Holy Spirit, we oftentimes live in so much fear about our city, so much fear about our marriages, so much fear about our children that we try to control and we try to change. And I will tell you, that is not how people change. And we say, but the Bible says we have to tell someone, rebuke them once, rebuke them twice, and have nothing to do with it. I got that scripture for you, right? Because people abuse scripture sometimes. You have to be really careful. They take things out of context. That when I say take it out of context, you have to read what's right before that scripture and right after. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And not just go, oh, this works for me. So this happens in marriages, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he would lay down his life and sacrifice comes right before that. But you don't know how many times I've heard that in the counseling session. <laughs> You're supposed to submit. Okay, that's really loving sounding, like Christ loved the church, right? <laughs> but it's the same thing with this one. Scripture 9 says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Ooh, how many of us do that on Facebook and Instagram? Avoid those quarrels? Oh, sorry. <laughs> but this is why. It's not because we're not allowed to have different opinions. It's because they're unprofitable and useless. You are wasting your time. When we attack people that way, th that's not going to change them, you guys. What's going to change them? We just read it. Kindness, love, mercy, that's what he used to change us. When we're doing that, when we're getting in these quarrels, we're not doing that. I can have my beliefs. One of my other points was acceptance is different of approval. I can accept them for their differences. I have great conversations now with my family in Canada about politics because I don't care to change their mind. We just have a good talk like, oh, this is how he sees that and this is how I see that and that's cool. We, like, we have differences. It's okay that they think different than me. I'm not gonna win them over by quarreling with them. So the next scripture is warn a divisive person. In context of this, you guys, warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. It's talking about getting involved in quarrelsomes about these foolish things, not about them sinning. Some of the most broken people I know sin and I sin over and over, so I, I being very careful in saying this, sin over and over and over. And people, why does this person keep still using drugs? Why does this person still go to pornography? Why does this person keep cheating on their spouse? Why is, why? And until you understand their story and understand the, the foundation that was built for them, you can never judge them and you will never know that, so stop judging them. Stop thinking that their journey looks like your journey. But we're so afraid because you know what? If we have someone in our church doing X, Y, Z, then that means we're not doing a good job. 
But it's you're not your job. Your job as a, a citizen, as a person in this church, as a person in life is to love and to be kind and to be merciful. So when I'm on the streets, right, it, Samuel talks about the road, so I love it. I'm going to use the road rage experience, right? It's very hard because people get very angry when you make a mistake on the road. How many of you guys have made a mistake on the road? Okay. And sometimes I'm like, they honk at me or whatever for making my mistake and I'm not doing anything. I just genuinely didn't see them. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> and they're like, like honking at me, flipping me off. And I'm like, okay, bye. Right? Like, I feel bad for them because I'm like, man, you're really angry, but you're not angry about me. There's something else going on. But if I fuel it, if I don't love those people, what am I going to fuel next? Back to them? That's not going to do me any good. That's not loving my city. Guys, anytime I see a negative behavior from people, you have to remind yourself, they got stuff going on. Most of the time, it's not about you. Even with my spouse sometimes, like we've got stuff going on and most of the time it's not about him, it's not about me. It's like about my own brokenness. So I wanna go, hey, I'm feeling insecure today. It's all about you. You're not doing a good job then, right? And that's so unfair because he'd have to like mind read and know every little thing that's going on in my head, when it's going on, how it's going on and what's gonna be working this day and what's gonna be working that day because women, our hormones change quite a bit. So what worked yesterday might not work today. That's so unfair to him. Sometimes we just have to say, this is what I need. I'm not okay. Instead of going, I'm not okay because you didn't do this. No, most of the time we're not okay because we're not okay. And we need to really look at why we're not okay. And we need to stop looking to our city and to those people around us to be meeting all those needs. That place is actually supposed to be reserved by God. And I'm guilty of this. If you want after service, you can all bombard my husband. He will tell you. No, he probably wouldn't tell you because he's very kind. I am, I am preaching to the choir. Is that how you say it? Like, this is on me too. When I am the weakest, I am the most prone to blaming my spouse for all my issues. And I'm when the weakest, I'm also blaming my city. So don't, it's not just Levi gets it all, but the city does get quite a bit. That's why this is a good sermon for me. I'm preaching to myself today. So we gotta get rid of fear. We have to get rid of fear. We have to learn to accept those around us, even in their differences, even in their sin. And, and I read a whole article the other night about that, that saying, um, hate, the, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. And did you know that's not even in scripture? That's just something people say. But anytime you say hate in the same sentence as love, they like contradict each other. And one, that means you're taking the job of labeling someone a sinner. So there's like all kinds of things wrong with that. Please stop saying that. Just love the people in their sin, in their issues, because we all have it too. The, like I want mercy and grace on me. And if I want that grace and mercy on me, I better start showing it to others first. Like you create that change. Don't wait for someone else. And I don't know why, but this scripture, when I was first starting to prepare for this, kept coming up to me. And I literally was like singing it that day. But we are so dominated by a fear rhetoric 
Fear in politics, fear in what's gonna happen to our country, fear in what's gonna happen to our city, fear because we're all sexually consumed in Las Vegas supposedly, like fear, fear, fear. Fear of what our children are gonna do, so we're helicopter parents thinking that has a lot to do with their outcome. Like we're so driven by fear, it consumes us. And, and the scripture, Timothy, um, 2 Timothy 1.7 just says, God has not given a spirit of fear or timidity is another translation. So timid being scared, fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind or self-discipline, sound judgment, self-control. Those were all different um, versions that were used. But think about it in your life, when like you close your eyes and you take those deep breaths, are you consumed by fear, timidity? Or are you consumed by power, Love and a sound mind. So many people think power means like, rah, right? No, like some of the most powerful people I've experienced, like, I don't mean to embarrass my husband today, sorry, babe. But one of the most powerful people I know is my husband. He's one of the most quiet, stoic people I know. Like, he like owns that. Like, he, he doesn't even know it, but he's just like solid, like, quiet. I don't know how to explain it. Not quiet like he doesn't say anything. He's not a mute. But like <laughs> centered. You know what I'm saying? And and that is so powerful to me because I really don't think God is a God that runs around like I am all powerful and I love you. Those like don't go together. But like I am I I have power and I love you. That feels so like, mmm. So I'm not asking you to like go from like very afraid and timid and holding back and anxious and all of this to like, yeah, I'm powerful. Actually, I found in, in sessions, the ones that are the most, are actually the, have the lowest self-esteem. And so like, I have one of those. Like I can be really loud in there and that's one of my biggest struggles is like knowing my value and like being okay in it. And the more I've known that and when I, I have seasons, how many of you guys have seasons? So I have seasons where I know that and I'm good. And then I have seasons where I'm like running around like, and it's like, I know that's when I'm tapping into that insecurity. So to be good citizens, to wrap it all up so we can hurry up. I thought this was kind of cool. How many of you guys have heard of the five love languages? Okay, so you can apply this and the book's not perfect and all this kind of stuff, but I thought it was kind of fun because we don't think about this as our city, right? But how do you love your city, right? The words I say, oh, ouch. That really convicted me because the words I say don't love my city. The acts of service, how do I serve my city? Right? Not getting in quarrelsome. how do I serve it? How do I make, create the change? It's very easy to talk about change. It's another thing to create change. Anybody can talk. The gifts, how do I give to my city financially? How do I give gifts to my city, right? The time I spend in my city. <laughs> and then physically, how are we being good consumers of our city? How are we taking care of this beautiful resource God's given us? And a last point, I used to walk through, my dad, when we moved to Vegas, I was really excited to leave California. So I lived in California before. And when we moved to Vegas, I was so excited because I was being teased really bad in, in California where we were at. And so I was ready for a fresh start. I like to run away. So you could tell I want to run away from Vegas. I wanted to run away from California. 
And I was so excited. And then we flew in for the first time. I don't even think we ever visited before we moved here as kids. And we flew in and I was like, where did you take us? It's so ugly. And my dad would drive around and it drove me nuts. And he'd be like, isn't this beautiful? Look at that. And he's genuine. He's not like making fun. He really thought Vegas was beautiful. Look at how beautiful it is. It's so, and I was like, don't say that. It's so ugly. And I tell you something. This is what really made me think this morning. I don't hate my city. Was now I drive and I'll tell my kids, isn't this beautiful? <laughs> and I, I go on horseback rides with my mother-in-law and she's shown me like beautiful parts of the city a lot of people don't see in like Red Rock and Mount Charleston. And so I really realized I've got to be careful. And my biggest conviction in loving my city is my words. And then how does that affect how I'm loving the people I say I love? And so today I'm speaking to myself and I want you to close your eyes and we're going to end. I want you to, for a second, just think about that. How, ha how have you loved your city and how does that impact how you've loved the people in the city? And you can think of it. I did the five love languages just because it was super tangible. Like, what are the words I say over my city? What are the acts I do for my city? What are the gifts I give to my city? The time, physically, how do I treat my city? How do I enjoy my city physically? Like there's ways to enjoy this city and it will make you fall in love with the people even in the middle of their ugliest sin you feel like you, the worst sin you can imagine. Because if you really love the city, if you really love people, the sin didn't matter. Jesus didn't say, I love you because you have a lack of sin, Josie. <laughs> I love you, Isabel, because have, you have a lack of sin. No, he said, I love you in spite of your sin. I love you regardless. But why don't we do that to our city? City, Vegas, the people, I love you despite where you're at.